Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts Jeremy Take, Paul Schaeflein, and Aichabash. Each week you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hi Cameron, welcome to M365 Developer Podcast. How are you doing? Hi Aicha, um, I'm doing well and really happy to be here and talking to you today. Yes, I'm excited for this episode. So before we jump into learning more about the tech and the background of your products, can you tell us briefly what's your company about and um, what kind of products do you have? My name is Cameron DeWire. I am the Chief Technology Officer at OnePlace Solutions. We are an ISV based out of Sydney, Australia. And our mission is really to provide a simplified and consistent way for people to engage with business systems built on the Microsoft 365 platform by bringing those systems into core applications that people use every day, such as Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Adobe Acrobat, and even Windows Desktop, and doing that in intelligent and personalized ways. Uh, this gives people access to the data they need when and where they need it. And we sort of try to remove the clutter and keep them focused and in the flow of what they're doing. So we've got a suite of products um, and that assists our customers' organizations with the challenges around email management, document management, records management, and compliance. Um, but above all, the objective is to get users engaged and using systems that our customers build on top of the Microsoft 365 platform. I'll just dig into that slightly in that when I'm talking about systems that customers build on top of Microsoft 365, this is what we've been seeing as a trend for many years now is that People, uh, organizations are using Microsoft 365 as a platform and they're replacing what used to be proprietary business systems within their organization. So a typical pattern that we see is organizations will use Microsoft 365 for their intranet as their first project. And they'll roll that out, they get success with it, and then they understand the sort of, I guess, the fundamentals of Microsoft 365 for document manage and storage inside of SharePoint, which is a strong, compelling case. And then you start to see point solutions. So at first it's the intranet, but then maybe it replaces a project management system, which was a whole application that an organization had to run, had to administer, had to license. And that can be delivered on top of Microsoft 365. And once you get some success there, maybe your HR system, some of the policies and the procedures and some of those form-based systems can actually be replaced and built on top of Microsoft 365. And this makes a lot of sense from an organization's perspective because you're now centralizing around one technology and it makes your governance um, and your security story a lot, a lot simpler. Um, and it's one set of tools for the users to understand as well. So that's what I mean when I talk about trying to simplify and provide an insist, a consistent way for users to engage with these systems. Because although that's great from centralizing your technology and making things consistent from a user's point of view, it also brings about challenges. And, and one of those challenges that we say, well, let's, let's talk about a couple of those challenges. The first one is that we've removed the boundaries of what used to be separate systems. These used to be separate line of business systems that a person would have different icons on their desktop and they would open up like their project management system or their intranet. And now they're just going to Microsoft 365 for everything. And so to a user, this becomes like information overload. It's like, where do I go to find what I need to get my job done? So we've got some challenges here. And the, I guess the big challenges we see is that Microsoft 365 is complex for people to navigate. The more entrenched it becomes in an organization, the more complex it can become to find information in it. And there's different information architectures and Microsoft 365 is different inside of every business. So just 
if you've just used it inside of one organization and you move to another organization, it can be looked vastly, vastly different. And along with that complexity comes risk around compliance. So what you find is if people are finding it hard to navigate a system, hard to find things inside of a system, is they tend to go around the system. And that's when you start your compliance risks start creeping in. So people go around it and they revert to old behavior. They'll start saving stuff to their local drives. They leave information trapped in inboxes where it's not shared, which leads into probably the third big uh, challenge that we try to address and that we see is that information assets are underutilized. If you're not getting information assets into a centralized shared place where people can find it and people can utilize it, people end up writing the same information, the same documents, saving, solving the same problems over and over again because they don't realize that other people in the organization have already been here before. So we're trying to solve those challenges. And really the solutions that we have in our product suite are all around simplifying the noise. Let's simplify all of that information that's in your Microsoft 365 environment because every individual doesn't need to know every piece of information about your organization. They need to know the stuff that's relevant to them. So we call that removing the noise. And doing that, in personalized way that's personalized to people's role, their job function, and them as an individual. And also delivering that in a way that minimizes change for a user and meeting them where they are. And so that's why we deliver a lot of our functionality inside of the core Office applications, inside of Word, inside of Excel, inside of PowerPoint, inside of Microsoft Outlook and onto the Windows desktop, because that's where users, our information workers are actually working and getting their job done. Uh, so that's a little bit about our products and I sort of, I guess I've hinted there that there's a whole mix of different integrations in with Office products. We do integrations in with Adobe Acrobat and we've got applications on the desktop and our applications run on the mobile devices as well. Yeah, I think Microsoft 365 platform is growing day by day. We have more products and uh, we have more complex environments to work, collaborate, and that makes it easier to work hybrid for sure. But um, I think it's been there for a long time and complexity was there for a long time too. How long um, have your solution been available for your customers? We launched our first commercial product in the suite, which is still part of the um, one of the products in the suite. We launched it back in 2008. So at that stage, we were really talking SharePoint servers on premises, uh, and we were that was a integration with Mail and SharePoint. Um, so we we're talking Exchange servers on premises and SharePoint servers on premises at that point in time. But as you can imagine, 2008 was a long time ago. Microsoft hadn't gone to the cloud. So, and a lot of those workloads, as you were just saying, that the the workloads of Microsoft, the products within the Microsoft 365 suite, certainly expanded greatly in that time. So we sort of rode that wave with Microsoft of moving to the cloud, moving to subscription. Um, based software and also extending out and we do integrations now with Microsoft Teams and sort of products that didn't exist when we started. So uh, your products evolved with Microsoft products. So probably you've been changing and updating the integrations. I'm wondering what uh, M365 dev platform technologies are you using at the moment? Okay, well, we are. Yeah, you're right. We really have rode that wave. And We've still got a lot of the technology that we've had from the beginning all the way through to very modern um, modern stuff. And there's different reasons why, why we've got those different pieces still in play. But if we go through and uh, in the beginning, we were really writing, um, we started with a, a VSTO or COM add-in for Microsoft Outlook. That was the extensibility model for Microsoft Outlook at the time. And that extensibility model is still there today um, and still supported. And we still have a product product that runs inside of Outlook um, under that model. And it's still the richest extensibility model for Outlook. So 
Fistio com add-ins for, and we also got those for Excel, Word, um, PowerPoint. We also have modern Office add-ins, so web-based add-ins that are inside of Office. And the benefit of those is they give us reach off just a Microsoft desktop um, Windows PC. So the VSTO com add-ins are built on top of a Microsoft.net framework that was only ever gonna run on a Windows-based PC. So with the more modern um, extensibility models being web-based, they will run everywhere that um, Office runs. So that gives us the ability, while the extensibility model isn't quite as feature-rich as the VSTO com add-in model, it does give us the ability to reach out onto Mac, onto, Office on the web, onto phones, um, mobile phones, and onto tablets and things like that, um, which is super important for us from a um, mail perspective uh, because, again, what we were really trying to do is meet users where they are and where they're working. And mail's an interesting one because um, we hit a tipping point, I think it, somewhere between four and six years ago. I can't exactly remember what, when, it, when it happened, but it was interesting that there was a study done and it was found that most information workers were reading their email first on a mobile device rather than on their laptop or a desktop PC, which is a really compelling statistic for us because we do a lot of um, email management and allowing users to file information away into um, SharePoint file repositories and filing the email with, with other related information. Uh, but the pattern that we found people were doing was that they were first consuming or reading that email on a mobile device and they were flagging it so that when they got back to the office, they could use our software to file it away. So being able to move across to that modern um, add-in model that Microsoft had and giving us the reach onto the mobile devices allowed us to deliver that functionality right there where the user was first reading the email message and saving them that whole process of flagging it, getting back to it later, um, and just reducing the workload, making that a more streamlined process. Uh, So yeah, we've got modern office add-ins, we've got Windows applications, and then I guess that's how we're surfacing um, our our applications to the user. But as far as Microsoft 365 technologies that we're using um, behind the scenes, we're using Microsoft Graph a lot. So we started using just Microsoft Graph, the raw calls. Uh, and that was because the SDKs didn't exist when we started using Microsoft Graph. Um, and we have transitioned and we're now using the Microsoft Graph SDKs. We use the JavaScript SDK and we also use the um, .NET SDK as well. We use those to get at mail, we use those to get at SharePoint, we use those to get at Teams, uh, we use them to get at groups and user um, type information as well. What else do we use? We use adaptive cards, we post things into Microsoft Teams uh, programmatically and for that we use adaptive cards which are really good for being able to um, concentrate more on the content and less on the UI of it and making it available across devices because people can be consuming that Teams content on any device. Um, so adaptive cards is really handy for that. When we communicate with SharePoint, we've got a real mix of technologies going on there as well. We use, well, we do use Microsoft Graph to get a SharePoint data, but we do also use SharePoint REST API and SharePoint client side object model. And we also use some of the um, PMP libraries as well. So the community driven PMP libraries uh, for doing some of our work inside of SharePoint. We also, what else other technologies we use for some of our UI, because we're surfacing ourselves inside of some of Microsoft products, we want the styling and the metaphors to be very consistent. So we utilize uh, Microsoft's Fluent UI, the core styling that comes out of that library. And then I guess from an authentication and identity perspective, we use Microsoft's identity service, we use Active Directory, and we use the MSAL libraries. 
um, for doing a lot of the work with OAuth and tokens and identifying users and permissions and things like that. Oh, I think that's about the stack that we use on Microsoft 365. <laughs> that's already a lot of uh, products. And I'm wondering, you're, you're consuming a graph for many different data sets. How do you optimize the data and what kind of tools do you, or, or products do you use for, let's say, preventing throttling or uh, managing the APIs in general? Um, Tooling-wise, I guess... I love Microsoft Graph Explorer. Um, shout out to the team behind Microsoft Graph Explorer. I think that's an awesome development tool that our development team uses a lot to explore the APIs and what they're capable of before we then go diving and putting the code into the products. As far as making things optimized, I'm not sure if there's necessarily too much tooling we use. Um, Fiddler is usually something that we have running on our dev machines uh, constantly seeing what's going across a wire is pretty important. Uh, and a lot of stuff around the graph has really been uh, around the best practices really of the graph, just making sure that you're only requesting the minimum set of data that you need, using uh, batching if you're making repetitive calls for information, like you're after it for a collection, is make sure you batch that up and don't just fire off sort of 20 calls asking, like you might be looking for, I don't know, people's images, but rather than making 20 calls for to get 20 different people's images, batching that up into one call and saying, hey, Graph, you execute this server-side and you give me the 20 results back in one packet. So those sorts of things are more best practice rather than us using tools um, to help. But I do use Fiddler because it becomes quite evident um, either when you're coding it yourself or you're testing somebody else's code. If you've got something like Fiddler where you can see the information that's going across the wire, um, you can see, oh, we're making a call to get this information, but why are we getting all of this other stuff? And sometimes that's because the developer isn't aware that they and they inadvertently just made a call without doing like a dollar select on a um, on a graph call and they're returning more information than they should. But um, a shout out to another tool that's just recently been um, brought out, which is the um, Graph Developer Proxy. Um, that's got some really good guidance in it. So if anyone is used to um, using Fiddler, the Graph Dev Proxy works a little bit like that. It intercepts the traffic um, that's going through and you can see the calls that are being made, but it's specifically tuned just to focus on graph traffic. Um, and it's actually got some best practice guidance built into it. So it will detect when you're asking for more information. Like if you're, if you're issuing a issuing an API like get request and you're not specifying what data you want returned, it'll say, hey, maybe you should look at just selecting the data you actually need and what return because you're probably getting larger payloads than what you need. So that's a great tool and it'll be interesting to see how that develops as time goes on and how much guidance can be built into that tool because I can see that being really valuable. So in terms of your um, architecture, product solution architecture, other than Microsoft 365, are you using any cloud uh, services? Yes, we are. So I guess the Microsoft 365 technologies that we all, that I just walked through then, were very much Microsoft 365 technologies, but a large part of what we do is based inside of Azure, especially with our modern uh, add-ins, our modern office-based add-ins. The architecture of those is on the front end of them, they're an Angular application. So it's web technologies, uh, single page application. Is That's how we're surfacing our functionality to, to the user across different devices. But sitting behind those on the back end, we have a whole heap of services running inside of Azure. And that's, that's really important for us. I mean, you can, there's nothing stopping you from writing Office um, add-ins and them just being single page applications and communicating directly with Microsoft 365 
directly from the single page applications. Um, you could use like the graph JavaScript SDK and there'd be absolutely nothing stopping you from doing that. But what we've found is to deliver to deliver some of the functionalities that we wanted to deliver, it made a lot of sense to do that in backend services. A perfect example of that would just be transferring um, email to SharePoint, which is one of the functionalities that our product um, has that's built inside of Outlook. And now you could imagine if we're doing that with a large emails, we could transfer sort of 10 emails and they could all have, all have large attachments on them. If we're doing that on a mobile phone, then their user would, first of all, they'd have to pull all these email attachments down onto their device through like cellular data, then push them back up to SharePoint. And when the way that Office add-ins work is that they're only alive, the JavaScript runtime is only sitting there and available while the add-in is actually open on the screen. So we would have to hold the user's attention, hold them open and get them not to not do anything with the device until we've completed that whole transfer. And that just doesn't really work, especially on that form factor. So rather than doing that, what we can do is get the user to say, okay, I want to save these 10 emails. I want to save the, all the attachments off them as well. And they can just send a, a packet of data, basically a request to our service that just says, you go and do this for me because I've got, got better things to do. At that point in time, you know, they could throw their phone in the water, get it run over by a bus. The transfer is going to happen because all the information that's needed is in the backend service. They're free to go on and continue working and we'll process all the stuff in the background. So delivering functionality like that necessitates having both the front end um, and the back end that work in coordination. And for that back end, we use Microsoft technology the whole way through. So we're very heavily invested inside of Azure and we've gone with Azure serverless um, approach as well. So we're not using containers. We don't have any virtual machines running. We are just using the sort of serverless um, platform that's there. Um, so typically that's Azure Functions uh, is what we're using for compute and we sort of break them up into microservices. So usually our front end will call an Azure function HTTP endpoint. HTTP endpoint will grab that information and it will typically just stick it on a queue and get back to the device and say, hey, I've got your request. Everything's fine over here. Um, and it would probably give them some sort of token or URL that they, the device can call back on and say, hey, if you want to check out how this thing's going, just call us back here and we'll give you the status of that save or something like that. And then... With the microservices architecture, it's usually just some sort of queuing technology between different parts of compute. So for instance, that, that upload process, that would go onto a queue and it might get split up if there was multiple files that needed to get uploaded. It would go onto a, a queue and the, it one, one sort of request would then get split up into maybe 10 individual requests and Azure Functions will fan out and it will do all of these in parallel. It will move all the information. If we have any problems or any errors happen, things like that, again, there'll be another queue that an error will go onto and something will collate all these things. That's some other module's job to collate all those other things. So it's this whole collection of microservices in the background that is using Azure Functions and queuing technology. And for the queues, we use just simple storage queues. We use Azure Service Bus as well. And for persistent storage, we use a mix of Azure SQL and Azure Cosmos and some table storage in there as well. Um, sitting across all of this, we have technology such as Front Door, so for routing requests in. So although we've got all these little microservices, and if you've developed Azure Functions, you'll know that when you spin them up, if you're doing these as separate projects, they all have different URLs. Once you're hosted up inside of Azure, you get a unique URL for each of these um, Azure Functions where you're hosting them. But we don't want to expose that out to our customers. Um, so for an API perspective, we hide a lot of that behind Azure Front Door. So that gives us the ability to have a single API 
URL that people can come come in on. And then behind the scenes, that will get redirected off to the Azure function that needs to deal with it. Um, and that also allows us to scale um, our backend as well. So there can be multiple instances of a backend running. We can have them running in geographically di different locations and route users to the closest ones for them. Um, it also allows us to do blue-green deployments as well. So the way that we um, make code updates is we actually provision all of the infrastructure that's related to that component at the same time as well. So we'll spin up, we'll have like instance A running, and as soon as we push new code um, to our repositories, a whole new instance of the server will be sub spun up. So A will be sitting there and front door will be pointing at A, B gets spun up, we test it, we make sure it's all good, we redirect the traffic from A to B and then we kill off A. Um, so we have zero downtime and the infrastructure is provisioned every single time. So even changes in our infrastructure isn't something that someone manually goes in and does or we do sort of, we script a change, it's actually we rebuild the thing with the change um, in it as well. So. Uh, yeah, lots of different parts of Azure that we use there. We also find Application Insights is really, really useful. So we use that for our telemetry and being able to correlate data through the components is really um, a cool functionality that you get with Application Insights as well because that can often be challenging as you've got these different Azure functions doing compute and queuing going through. It can be quite complex to understand, well, what happens from the time a user performs a function in your front-end application to going through all these different queue and compute sort of different microservices, how do you stitch back together a session so you can see what's happening? Um, but Application Insights allows you to do that, which is, is really nifty and it's been super powerful for us. It's almost like a layer of functions and microservices in the background working asyn asynchronously as well as with a really uh, quick response time. And definitely it makes it more complex to understand what could be the issue in the application side. Um, so app insights are really powerful to understand what's the user experience and what could be the, you know, probably you're running tens of functions at the same time when user is uh, consuming your app, it would be easy to, easier to understand what can be the, uh, where can be the issue coming from. Yeah, it's been a big a big shift for for us um, getting into the actual running of of backend services in a cloud because that's not where our product started. Our product really started as desktop applications, but it's been it's it's an, enabled us to do things that we just weren't able to do on a on a desktop PC with software installed there. The scalability um, is super powerful. Just that concept of being able to put messages on a queue and Azure Functions being able to sort of to fan out and process thousands of operations in parallel and potentially upload thousands of files all at the same time. There is a lot of, I mean, you, quite, you mentioned it earlier about throttling with the Microsoft graphs. So there's a lot of um, things that we have to take care of in that things don't go too parallel. So something like um, uploading email, for instance, to a user's mailbox is there's a hard limit on accessing a user's mailbox of, of four concurrent threads. So although Azure Functions will just grab, if we try to upload 10 files um, to someone's mailbox, Azure Functions will try to fan out and take, like access it um, across 10 concurrent threads. So we have to be careful because if we do that, all, all we'll get from the graph is 429 telling us to back off because there's, there's too many threads accessing it. But there's some really powerful and um, awesome functionality built into to get around that problem. We actually use Azure Service Bus, one of its functionalities in there of, of using topics to be able to, to be able to limit the amount of things that is processed um, concurrently across 
different identities and things. It's, um, yeah, it's really nifty stuff. And the fact that you don't have to build this, it's just they're there as services that you can just pay for what you consume is is really, really good because if you had to build this functionality yourself, they're, they're really building blocks that Microsoft is just giving you. You just got to understand what those building blocks are, combine them um, in the right way, and you've got some really, really powerful building blocks for building commercial applications on top of. Yes, definitely. Modern cloud architecture is something it, it makes developers' lives really easy uh, when it comes to building. We only need to write, I mean, only need to set up the cloud components and then write a couple of functions and then we're good to go. <laughs> but probably your solution is bigger than that. <laughs> um, I'm wondering, you mentioned you started out with desktop. What's your approach at the moment for customers to try out your product? Is it in Team Store or any other store? Okay, we're not in Team Store. We are in the we're in App Source. Uh, so we don't have an actual Teams application. So we have Office applications, and they're available through App Source. And that's the easiest way for people to try our product because it's a zero install because they're they're modern Office add-ins. It's really a case of associating an add-in with your Microsoft 365 identity. That's really what acquiring something from the store is doing. Um, you're not physically installing software, which makes the deployment a lot easier. If you wanted, by comparison, if you wanted to try our VSTO COM add-ins, that's a physical install. So you need administration rights onto your PC to install software. And in the corporate environment, a lot of users don't have the ability to do that. In some corporate environments as well, the store is locked down, um, AppSource is locked down, and you may not have the ability to install um, office add-ins either, but uh, we tend to find that that is less friction to get something out of the office store than it is to install uh, desktop software. So yeah, that that process is either via our website, oneplacesolutions.com, and that trial will actually push people back to AppSource. So AppSource, we sort of see it in two different ways. AppSource, you can see that as a marketplace where users find your software and they procure your software through the store. Um, but the other part of the store experience is using it as a deployment mechanism. So we, we, we use it both ways. A lot of our customers will find us first on our website and find our software and we'll take them back to AppSource because the deployment model in AppSource is great. So in, in that um, instance, we're using AppSource really just for the deployment because the user can go through that. They just click on it. Microsoft takes care of the process of associating that add-in with their identity. Uh, and from an organization's point of view as well, they can go in through the Microsoft 365 Admin Center and you can deploy add-ins um, there to individuals or to whole groups of people or to, across your entire organization. And that's sort of centralized control and deployment. Uh, so Microsoft's already got this stuff built into the Microsoft 365 platform, which makes deployment a lot easier than it used to be when you're doing it with desktops and you had to take care of like getting the software installation packages from your ISV and then repackaging them and pushing them out through some sort of centralized deployment software that you may have been using. I'm assuming OnePlace Solutions products are basically for everyone, for any customer, but are you uh, seeing any particular vertic verticals that bring you the best success with? Uh, I'm assuming everyone in the healthcare, education, any vertical can consume your products, but are there any particular ones? Yeah, so it, it is a very... Um like a horizontal solution it goes across a lot of the verticals but those that we tend to see a lot of our customers um, around are more those that have compliance requirements around documents and records management so key industries are energy and infrastructure engineering manufacturing financial services is a big one government 
law firms or like legal departments within an enterprise, uh, they, they constitute a lot of it as well. And because we're also, we're around that document management, records management space, but we also do a lot around email management. So those types of organizations, that uh, a lot of their business is to do with um, the receiving information and sending information out via email, which again, like legal industry is very heavy on that as is construction project management. So that, those are the industries we seem to have a lot of customers in. in. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you say law firms, it definitely clicked in um, because probably they're managing a lot of confidential files and um, co compliance and security guidelines. So I think your solution sits really well on that area. So you're using a lot of Microsoft 365 dev platform products as well as Microsoft Cloud products too. What things would you like to see Microsoft doing around Microsoft 365 dev platform so that your products get the best out of it to serve your customers? It's probably just more investment on the Office add-in and extensibility model. Um, I mentioned it a few times through this podcast was the um, that we do have VSTO com add-ins inside of Outlook and that for us is still the most feature-rich extensibility model for Office. And that's because it's been there since Office began. Um, so there's, there's a lot that we're able to do in those VSTO com add-ins that we just cannot provide parity in the modern web-based um, extensibility model. I think it's, it's important to get in your mind because I think when I first started developing under the modern uh, Office add-in model, I was thinking more, because we already had an extensibility model for Windows Desktop, I was thinking, okay, this new web-based extensibility model is great. It's not as feature-rich, but it's allowing us to get out and onto those devices that we couldn't before. So it's allowing us to get out and run in Outlook on an iPhone, Outlook on an Android. It's allowing us to run Outlook in a web browser. So my initial impression of that web add-in model was this is great because we're getting this reach um, and we don't need all those same functionalities out on a mobile device because you don't have the screen real estate. It's not the same add-in that we're trying to deliver there. But those modern Office add-ins, those web-based add-ins, they still run on the full version of Outlook on a Windows-based PC and they run on a Mac. And under that, we're talking the same form factor. So there you do have the real estate. So the extensibility, the modern Office extensibility model isn't just for mobile devices. It isn't just for web, even though it's web technology. It is still for a full-blown Windows-based PC. So I think there is the opportunity there over time for Microsoft to invest more heavily in the Office uh, modern office extensibility and hopefully we get to a point where we get to parity and we would love to be able to deliver the same value we are to our customers on the modern office add-ins as we are able to do under the VSTO um, com add-ins and I think that investment for Microsoft will um, the importance of that will only become well more important and more prevalent with the um, the, the changes that are coming to um, Outlook with the um, One Outlook coming along because that will be the end of VSTO add-ins. Um, it's a unified version of Outlook. This stuff's all publicly available if you'd like to look um, look for it, but there is a version of Outlook. It's in beta at the moment. You can actually install it if you're on, a, um, on an insider's build of it um, and you can flick it on. And this is a modern unified version of Outlook, which is trying to 
uh, bring together the different versions of Outlook. So at the moment, we have a different version of Outlook for Outlook on the web. You've got the Windows-based version. You've got the Mac-based version. Um, then we've got the versions that run on the mobile phones. And you've even got the version of Outlook. It's like the mail client that's built into Windows, uh, into Windows 10 and Windows 11. Uh, the poor Outlook team there at Microsoft is maintaining a whole heap of different code bases. So one Outlook is exactly that. It is one Outlook. Um, they're trying to bring that code base together. But for the extensibility model for there will only be the web-based add-in. So I can see us heading towards this, this point of conflict where if we don't have an extensibility model that can replace the VSTO com add-ins, people are going to be stuck on a version of Outlook and not able to go across to this one Outlook. So um, I think it makes a lot of sense for Microsoft to invest there. And I just hope that they do um, so that both their extensibility model and the unified version of Outlook, those stories actually align and and the future is rosy. Um, so that's one thing I'd like is just um, I'd like to see Microsoft doing more investment on that modern extensibility model. Yeah, we have had it for a while. Like I call it a modern extensibility model, uh, but this model has been available for six years now. We've had commercial products in the space for that long. Um, we've been going with Microsoft um, on that journey and we'll continue to do so. Probably the uh, other thing in the Microsoft 365 area that I'd like to see Microsoft doing is unifying the development story for Microsoft 365 developers. That term, Microsoft 365 developer, to me, it's sort of, they're multiple different things and, and I, I see them as being different developers. So if you're a Teams developer, you're a Microsoft 365 developer. If you're a SharePoint developer, you're a Microsoft 365 developer. If you're an Office add-ins developer, you're a Microsoft 365 developer. But if you've tried to do the development in those three different areas, you might find that they are different experiences. And I think that there's also a bit of a disparity at the moment between developing internally for an enterprise versus developing multi-tenant applications that will run across enterprises. Um, so an example of that may be like a, an easier way to write an Office add-in or a Teams um, app at the moment is to use the SharePoint framework because the SharePoint framework, you can roll it up as a package, you can put it inside of your tenant and a whole heap of complexities go away from a where am I going to host my add-in because a lot of these add-ins are just web pages, static web pages. Um, but there's complexities around trusting domains. What are you going to use to host these um, files? And then from a security perspective, how do you trust the users? How do you identify them? If you just put it inside of your SharePoint site and host the pages from there, there's a lot of little corners you can cut and all of this is taken care of for you, which works great for an enterprise developer if you're just developing an application that's only designed to run inside of the tenant that you're developing it for. But then if you are to take that and think that's great, I'd like to productize this and use it, host it once so that multiple people can use it, that same model just does not work. You can't host it inside of your SharePoint environment and allow others to use it without totally changing well, first of all, you're not going to do that commercially um, because you're not going to let people come inside of your own tenant. But also the, the shortcuts that you took around identity and how you identify your users and the trust that they've got to that location, it only ever works in an enterprise environment. So when I talk to developers, which I do outside of my work as a CTO of One Place Solutions, I'm also an MVP in Microsoft 365 development. So I talk to people at conferences and I do training and um when I talk to developers and they ask me about the Microsoft 365 development story, at the moment, 
I really need to understand, well, what are they trying to develop? Is it SharePoint? Is it Teams? Is it Office add-ins or is it something else? Maybe it's a their own application that they're standing up, but they just want to call back in to get at Microsoft 365 data. So it might be a standalone website, but they want access to Mail or they want access to SharePoint. That's a different type of development. Again, they're just trying to use some of the APIs to get access. So I need to understand, well, what are they trying to develop? And then... For some of those things, I also need to know, well, are you an enterprise developer inside of an organization or are you more looking at that multi-tenant and you're trying to build something that works across tenancies? And it's different based on all of those different scenarios. So it would be great to see some unification across that. Um, my dream is that if you know how to develop something for SharePoint, something for the Office apps or something for Teams, then those skills are transferable, those apps are transferable, and it's one lot of learning. Yeah, it would be great if we could get there. I think we're slowly, we're slowly moving there, um, but, you know, it'd be great to have that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I see I see an effort there too. Like um, you, you're, now you're, you started uh, having an opportunity to extend your Teams apps into Outlook and Office. I think it's going into the unified area. But again, as you mentioned, we are still um, far from that with different types of apps you can build with different toolings. Yet we are using same products inside like Microsoft Graph. I guess most of the apps like Teams, add-ins, we are still using the same things inside, but the tooling and the approach is different for many of them. I agree, it would have been really nice to have one Microsoft 365 app dev environment. Hopefully, there will be in the future, but considering the complexity of the Microsoft 365 platform and the product teams, that they're all huge, and I think it will require a huge investment on that area. Fingers crossed for the future. <laughs> for sure. I guess a huge shout out for um, the Graph team there at Microsoft. It's it's a group of people that I've been very close to um, since sort of the Graph initiative kicked off. But what they've managed to do from a services perspective, because Microsoft traditionally was just the server-based products and they were all totally separate teams. But the Microsoft Graphs, Graph has been able to give us that one API. They've done that unification, I guess, if you like, that we're just talking about really at the tooling and the front end and how it's exposed in the different products. The Graph team has managed to do that for the server-based products. Those APIs have gone away. We don't deal with a Exchange API, a SharePoint API, a Teams API, a blah, blah, blah API. There used to be individual server products. We now have one API, one set of identity, one SDK. It's unified. If you know how to use one workload of the graph, that's fairly transferable to another area of it. So, I mean, that is amazing to have seen from, and, and that's across a lot of product teams. And now we're seeing when new products come out from Microsoft, they're not getting their own APIs. They're just coming on board on the graph. And that's what we saw with Microsoft Teams. Um, so it's definitely happening. And to, to see it, the proof is there with Microsoft Graph that it's it's possible and it's being done from that back-end API perspective already, which is, is a super job to um, have been able to do that. Definitely. I think Microsoft Graph is the initial point of starting the unification process with all the Microsoft 365 products. Now we're able to get data and all the brilliance of the products with one single API, that's all. That's a, that's a really big thing, uh, especially if you're building M365 apps for the platform. 
I also want to ask you, and this is the question Jeremy usually asks and wonders, as an ISV, what initiatives are you plugged into that helps you grow your business and help to your business in general? Some of the technology things, first of all, because they come to mind is probably the Graph Technology Adoption Program, the Graph uh, TAP Program. That's really useful from an API's perspective. Um, so that's, I think it's available, I think anyone can apply for it. It's to educate um, people and and get feedback for um, from them about all things Microsoft Graph API. Also, the community calls is something that has ramped up and is available to everyone. So I think there's, there's regular community calls at least monthly. Some of them are more frequently than that. But across Microsoft 365, you've got, I think there's a Microsoft 365 and Power Platform call. There's a SharePoint framework call and there's an Office add-ins call. I think there's one on adaptive cards as well. I'm not sure if that one's still running. Um, there's quite a number of them. I think that they're all published on the uh, PNP uh, website, the Microsoft PNP um, website. I think it lists um, all the schedule for when those calls are, are done. Uh, so they're really useful to hear what's coming up and what other people in the community are doing uh, with the technology. So I'd recommend both of those. Microsoft Partner Program has been really beneficial to us as uh, as a company. The Partner Program has had a major revamp that a lot of organizations are going through at the moment, um, navigating that, that big change. But historically, that's been a really um, beneficial program for us. It's giving us contacts inside of Microsoft, people that help you out with go-to-market, um, planning, some engineering and architectural um, consultation as well. And I think certainly for smaller companies, companies getting started, there's a lot of um, internal use rights for Microsoft software as well because doing the development, doing the testing, you need you need development environments, you need testing environments, you you, you need lots of things like Windows Server licenses, Windows just desktop licenses and things like that. So being part of these Microsoft programs gives you the right um, to legally do these things that you need to do without having to pay for licenses, um, which can get quite costly when you need to support multiple different environments. You need you need those test machines and, and things up and running. Uh, and also there's a there's Azure credits and things available through there as well. I think from an individual developer's perspective, there's also uh, the MSDN program. The MSDN program uh, is something that organizations can join as well, and that gives individual developers access to Azure credits, uh, access to use Visual Studio, access to learning resources as well. I think the Microsoft 365 uh, developer program as well, that's something that an individual can just sign up to. That will give you uh, a Microsoft 365 subscription of your own, which is really helpful just to develop against, test against, gives you a full environment without having to pay anything for it, which is, is like awesome, absolutely awesome. And it's, there's very few questions asked to be able to join up to that program. And it's not a time-limited thing either. The way that those environments work is that Microsoft is measuring your usage against them. And if you're using the environment, then it will automatically renew every 12 months. You get sent a nice email that says, hey, your Microsoft tenancy has been renewed. Congratulations and away you go. So that's, that's a really good um, thing to be plugged into as well. For ISVs, there is a new ISV benefits program that um, I don't think it's come out of beta yet. It's been going for about a year. And that's, as Microsoft has moved, I think this is what's happening. This is my take on it, is that the Microsoft Partner Program evolved with the gold, silver and bronze um, level partners. That has gone away. You may have already seen that, but there's new competency um, 
new competency solution sort of areas coming in. They're not gold, silver, bronze. They're actually in different areas like digital workplace and there's cloud providers. There's, I, can't, I can't remember exactly what they are, but there's about seven different areas. And then there's a separate ISV program. And the ISV program is more around dedicated just to ISVs. If you're trying to build commercial software across the different Microsoft technologies, then there is a dedicated program to that. Uh, and again, that'll give you internal use rights, go to market, help, everything from small business up to, to larger ISVs as well. Uh, so that program's worth knowing about. And then there's your local Microsoft subsidiaries as well. So I have regular contact in with um, people in my local area around our local market. Again, go to market resources and things like that is really useful to know. But then probably the most valuable thing I've had over the years, and things change at Microsoft all the time. I mean, it's really hard to keep on top of the things that are changing. And I would say that probably the most beneficial thing to do isn't necessarily a program, but it's your own it's your own networking. And just putting yourself out there, communicating with people, getting involved in community and building your own network. And to that end, what I found is you get out of it what you put in. The more that you share your story, share what you're doing, help others, the more that it comes back to you. Um, and what I found by doing that over the years is that you build really good relationships with people and that just opens doors and keeps connections into people. And that's how you hear what's going on. That's how you hear when new programs come out because you're talking to people um, that are living in the same world. And there is just so much change going on that that's just too much for one person to soak up on their own. Um, so the more of those communities that you're involved in, I find that's a, a really valuable source of information. Yes, and I think in Microsoft 365, the community calls and PMP community itself is quite helpful. I also see that MEP program is a really great community in general. They are really connected and they're connected inside the program as well as with the community and also with the product teams at Microsoft. I think there's a lot of opportunities to grow your network if you're interested in growing in this uh, environment and Microsoft ecosystem, M365, uh, dev ecosystem in general. Um, Cameron, thank you so much for joining uh, this episode. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to highlight where can people go and try out your amazing products? Okay, so you can find us in AppSource. If you, you'll be able to find our one-place mail product inside of AppSource. Uh, probably the best place to go to see videos and information about our products and all the capabilities is just to go to our website, which is oneplacesolutions.com. And you'll find all the information there, links to download our software, whether it be our web-based stuff or our desktop-based stuff, little quick snippet videos to really show you what it does without even having to go as far as installing it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Cameron. Uh, and I appreciate you joining this episode. We are looking forward to hearing more in the future when we have more improvements or news about OnePlace Solutions products. We want to host you again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ajo. It was great to chat. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.